It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today, the third Ashes cricket match of the summer gets underway in Leeds between England and Australia. It's the sport's oldest and one of its most bitter rivalries. And last week's game in London was mired in controversy after the England wicketkeeper, Johnny Bairstow, was given out in uh, unusual circumstances. It's another short ball. Oh, now this is going to be interesting. The dismissal led to ugly scenes in the Lord's Pavilion, where members of the privileged club confronted Australian players and accused them of being cheats. All very ugly. The Australians, I should just add, did not cheat, but many, primarily English fans, felt that they had been unsporting, not playing in the so-called spirit of cricket. This sporting barney almost escalated into a full-blown diplomatic row, with both countries' prime ministers wading in. To cricket now, and the Ashes row over Johnny Bairstow's stumping at Lords yesterday has reached Westminster. A Downing Street spokesman says the Prime Minister agrees with England captain Ben Stokes in that he wouldn't want to win a game in the manner that Australia did. Aussie PM Anthony Albanese hit back, saying Mr Sunak should stay in his crease. The outrage over this incident reached a high pitch because of the sense that cricket is somehow synonymous with sportsmanship and fair play, a bastion of moral virtue. And that's where the phrase, it's just not cricket, comes from. But if anything, the angry behaviour of the members in that Lord's Pavilion perhaps showed us that all is not well in the land of cricket. Because these events happened less than a week after the sport's reputation had been found wanting in a much more fundamental way. A damning report released by the English and Wales Cricket Board said that racism, sexism, classism and elitism are widespread in the game. The two-year investigation found structural and institutional racism continue to exist, that women are treated as subordinates and nearly 60% of men who play for England went to private schools. So just how dire is the situation for England's national summer sport? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Josh Glancy, editor of News Review at The Sunday Times. Today, the culture is rotten. What is wrong with English cricket? (laughs) 
I have to ask you, Lizzie, what, what was your view on the now controversial Bairstow stumping? I think Johnny Bairstow was a bit dozy. He wandered out of his crease before the ball was clearly dead. And that's when you're teaching under 10s or under 12s, you tell them to stay, stay in their crease. I'm chatting with Elizabeth Ammon, a cricket reporter at The Times, who's been covering the game for 12 years. Lizzie was at Lord's last week. Had it not been an Ashes test, they may have withdrawn the appeal, but this is the heat of the battle in the Ashes and it's not a soft play centre. One doesn't want to extrapolate too much from, from this incident, but there was something quite interesting about seeing these chaps and blazers, sort of angry red-faced chaps and blazers. And at one point they were verbally haranguing Usman Khawaja, a Muslim Australian opening batsman. It got pretty heated. It's not a great look for cricket in the same week that we had a report that's come out with some pretty damning, and which we'll get into, but some pretty damning uh, allegations about the state of cricket in terms of race, elitism, sexism, etc. I do have to say, I think that it wasn't just Usman Khawaja who was being harangued. They were all walking through and they were all, it just happened that, that Khawaja bit back, which he's perfectly entitled to do. But it isn't a great look because what the scenes on the television were were a bunch of middle-aged white men who you can extrapolate probably mostly middle class all together being braying. It sort of hits to the heart of, of cricket's class issue. Mm. Let's take a step back for a moment. Tell me, when did you first become passionate about cricket? Was it as a child? Did you play? I mean, passionate might be pushing it. <laughs> um, I, like almost every other woman my age, cricket was only because of my dad and my brother. I didn't see any women playing cricket. I didn't know women even could play cricket. In fact, it took me 20 years before I knew that women could be sports journalists. But over time, it, it sort of osmoses into you and becomes becomes a sort of way of life. And for me, cricket... It absolutely dictates the rhythm of my year. You get to April and, and you get excited about season and then it gets to October and you get that depression of, oh gosh, we've got a long winter before the next cricket season. OK, so let's get into this report. Late in 2021, the former Yorkshire cricketer, Azim Rafiq, gave evidence to a parliamentary select committee detailing allegations of the racism that he said he'd experienced at the club. Cricket found itself on the front pages for all the wrong reasons. But while the Rafiq scandal may have turbocharged this debate, it wasn't actually the genesis of the report. A broader, deeper investigation into the game had already begun. Hi, Josh. My name's Cindy Butts, and I'm the chair of the Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket. Could you just briefly talk us through that and talk, talk us through your, your working background and your, and your personal background there? Yeah, um, so I've had a background mainly actually oversight of criminal justice. I grew up in Shepherd's Bush, went to school on the White City Estate. My school was once regarded as the worst school in Britain. Our headmistress was stabbed. We had police officers in our school constantly. And so I guess I became sort of a, a self-appointed mediator between mainly young black boys in my school and police officers. And my interest really stemmed from what was really quite a toxic relationship between pupils in the school and police. 
So I spent 12 years overseeing the Met. I was the deputy chair of the Metropolitan Police Authority. So we had strategic responsibility for the Metropolitan Police Service. And then I went on to to do a whole range of other roles. Uh, I spent some time, and I currently do this now, sitting on the House of Lords Conduct Committee, but all centred around good governance, ethics, complaints handling, equality, equity, diversity and inclusion. And are you a cricket fan? Yes, I am. Uh, So I've got cricket in my blood. My cousin used to play for the West Indies, Clyde Butts. He played in the sort of mid to late 80s. Right. Wow. He was a bowler and latterly went on to chair the West Indies selection board. I've had other cousins who have played at county level here in the UK as well. My interest really stems from my mum's love of cricket. Absolutely loved cricket. Used to drag us around to Lords and the Oval and when we were kids and force us to watch it on telly. And and I guess that's where my interest springs from. So I can see you were eminently qualified to be involved in this ECB report on cricket. But how did it actually come about? How did you come to end up authoring it? So it came about because I was I was laying in bed one morning listening to the Today programme on Radio 4, as one does. And they'd done a little segment on racism in cricket. And it was all centred around two umpires and they had raised issues around their treatment within the game. And having heard that, I thought, oh, cricket sounds like it might might need me. (laughs) So I picked up the phone, called a friend of mine and he arranged a meeting with myself and... David Mahoney, who's the current uh, COO at the ECB. We had a chat and he said, oh, it's interesting you should get in contact. We're thinking of setting up an independent commission to look at issues of race in cricket. You might want to apply. Why were they particularly thinking of setting up the commission at that time? This was in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement and the murder of George Floyd. And they had carried out a number of listening exercises with people, mainly Black and Asian, within the game to talk to them about their experiences of discrimination. When I got appointed, I was really clear that I didn't want to just look at race as important as race is. I wanted to also look at women and also the class issues in cricket. That's how I came to be involved. And I guess one of the things that's important to realise, because we often get, you know, challenged on, you know, it took us two and a half years to do this work. One of the reasons for that was because we are a truly independent commission. I started with just me. I don't have an organisation behind me, an infrastructure behind me. And it was then me getting down to appointing commissioners, appointing the secretariat staff, developing our terms of reference, our own systems and processes. So that's one of the reasons why we took so long. But the key reason, and I'd like to think you and others will see this upon reading the report, is that we have really looked under the bonnet. I mean, we've done a really detailed exploration of what the issues are. What did you find under the bonnet? I realise it's a very long report, but if you could give us a sense of the the absolute top-level summary of, of what you found in this very thorough investigation. Yeah, Josh, I wouldn't mind, I don't mind saying to you, I think you need two weeks annual leave to get through that report. It's very long, 317 pages. That's not including the appendices, of course. We had unfettered access to the ECB, to cricket, to the way things work, to policies, procedures, etc. 
we surveyed people, asked them to come to us and talk to us about their experiences. Over 4,000 people responded. So we looked at both the professional game as well as the uh, recreational game. And what we found is that there is widespread and deep-rooted racism, sexism, class-based discrimination and elitism throughout cricket. We're talking about racism, sexism, classism, the three threads running through the report. What do you recall as some of the, the more egregious examples of those three things? In respect of race, I mean, we, we had former Muslim player talking to us about facing the indignity of having his teammates laugh and joke about a fellow teammate who had used his prayer mat to clean up after sex. The regular use of the P word, people from South Asian backgrounds being called terrorists, pedos. In respect of black respondents, a young black girl, 13 years old in the talent pathway, being called the N-word, being told to go back home by grown adults, grown men, black respondents again, and also South Asian respondents talking about having to work twice as hard as their white counterparts, outperforming them. And I'm talking about people who, you know, they weren't sort of disgruntled at having not made it in cricket. They came along with the evidence, their stats. We're outperforming our white counterparts, yet we're not being chosen to play or we're being deselected. If there was anything that was, I think, the saddest thing to hear was actually their accounts, because they spoke of dreams, ambitions that were stolen from them. In respect of women, constantly having to face predatory behaviour from men, often fueled around alcohol, unwanted touching, being told that women are shit at cricket, women shouldn't play cricket, women can't be umpires, walking into a score box and facing signs that say no bras allowed, constantly being demeaned. So there were just a, a, a litany of examples across the, the full spectrum in respect of class, you know, being called peasants, teams being divided into chavs and private school boys, young kids being mocked for not having an expensive kit. And that's by coaches who are there to support and nurture them. And Cindy, given all that you found and this litany of abuses and misdeeds, what was your overall conclusion? Individuals are fearful of raising complaints. They fear victimisation they fear that nothing will be done. There is a massive trust deficit. And I know through all of my work with organisations that the way in which discrimination in particular is dealt with, the way in which complaints are dealt with in an organisation is often a barometer of the culture of an organisation. And I'm afraid to say that we couldn't help but conclude that cricket's culture is rotten. And Cindy, did any of your findings surprise you? Look, I, I, I expected to find problems. I mean, we wouldn't have been set up if had there not been an indication that something isn't 
well within cricket. But I've got to say I was shocked. I was shocked by the extent of the discrimination. And I'm someone who's been around the block, but I was shocked at what I what, what I found. And not just on the interpersonal level. And I think this is important to kind of really get your head around. This isn't just interpersonal. It's structural. So it's baked into the processes and structures within cricket, particularly in relation to class. And so you were obviously in and around the press box for the Ashes Test last week, talked to a lot of other journalists, many of whom are ex-players. How would you say that people have responded to the report? What was the reaction like among the people you know? Well, I think everybody's experience is different. And obviously, I think it's really important that we don't blame cricket for everything that is in society. So I think cricket is just a microcosm of what else is happening. But there, there was a mixed response to it, I think, unsurprisingly, some elements of cricket thought the report was a bit woke, that actually it was trying to sort of disintegrate everything that was good about cricket. Others were not in any way surprised by what was in it. Uh, and others were a bit shocked, but also pragmatic in the sense that it's good that the spotlight has been shone on these things. And actually, it was a pretty unforgiving report. And the governing body, to be fair to them, did not try and redact it. They didn't try and water it down. They didn't try and make it any soft, make it soft and fluffy. They got it out there. They apologised for anyone who's ever experienced discrimination in the game, as did Ben Stokes, who's the England Test captain. We must go further and be more inclusive and diverse because the game I love and the millions worldwide love should be enjoyed without fear of discrimination or judgment, whether that be due to your upbringing, race or gender. You mentioned that we shouldn't try to blame cricket for all our ills, but it is an interesting, in a way, an interesting microcosm, as you say, of broader things that we're trying to tackle in society. I mean, mm -hmm. for those who aren't cricket fans or aren't even sports fans, why should they care? Why is this important? A game where people wear silly white clothes and hurl balls around. What does it, why does it matter, do you think? Well, in a sense, cricket can and and has and, and is a huge force for good because it is a real leveller. And I have seen in, in my time in cricket it bringing together people of all different backgrounds. Because it's such a long game, because it's um, uh, such an intense game, because it's such a thinking game, it really forges friendships and can be such a force for good. It is also our summer national sport. It has a great tradition and history. And we've seen with the Ashes this summer that, it, like a football World Cup, in the way that sport does, it sort of brings the nation together, or it can if you don't lose. I think that's why it matters. But also because of the empire history of cricket, of course, it's a colonial, you know, we, England took it to the, to the colonies, as it were, in the past. The diaspora communities and the second, third, fourth generation immigrants are huge cricket fans. It can be a unifying force for all different types of groups within society because they all share a love for the same game. Now, that's the theory. Of course, what we've seen in the reality is that it also can be incredibly dividing, where in theory you should have groups of people who all love the same game, all from different, you know, from India, Pakistan, from Bangladesh, from Sri Lanka, from the West Indies, all coming together and with a shared passion. Actually, in reality, we have seen that it, it, it divides and there have been pockets where parts of the cricket-loving communities are not welcome in certain bits of the other bit of cricket. So it sort of highlights both what is possible and what hasn't happened. 
So moving on to this idea of classism, elitism in cricket, the pathway to the top can be quite difficult because we'd like to think of sport as meritocratic, about as meritocratic as a, a thing as we can do in life. But you're saying that you're getting talented players from perhaps minority backgrounds who simply don't have the right pathway to the top. How, how does that actually work? What's blocking them? Well, it's even more fundamental than that. It's sort of even access to the game in the first place because of the state school versus private public school problem where um, because cricket is long and expensive and needs a big playing field, state schools don't have access to it. I mean, with the selling off the playing fields back in the 80s, cricket in state schools is virtually non-existent. I mean, it happens in, in some places, but it requires dedicated teachers. It requires a playing field. You know, it requires people to know about the game and want to pick up a bat. And it is dominated by those who go to private and public schools who play at school. Now, if you went up north and you went to the northeast or you went to one of the ex-mining towns in Derbyshire and you said to them that cricket's a posh game, they'd laugh at you <laughs> because it's not, it hasn't been and it isn't in a lot of places. I think there is a, a geographical divide. But the, the fundamental issue is that if you have money and go to a school where they have a lovely cricket pitch, then you are much more likely to be able to succeed. You're much more likely to be spotted. You're playing a lot more cricket. And therefore, you are just more likely to be able to get through the system. And has it always been this way? Because I, I was looking at the the team for the England game at Laws last week and compared it to, I think it was the 2001 England team that played in the Ashes at Laws against Australia. And the 2001 team had seven state school players in it, whereas last week, I think only two didn't go to private school. So that's quite a notable shift over the course of 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the same within the domestic county game, the level below England. It is dominated by public and private school boys, mostly. There's not quite the same in, in the women's game. Uh, it should be noticed that, of course, some of those who are counted as public school boys are actually there on they're not from wealthy backgrounds. They're there on full scholarships because of their talent. It's frustrating in a way, isn't it? In, in a world that should theoretically have become more egalitarian over time, the path to cricketing success appears to have narrowed. We've yeah, gone backwards. Seemingly. Absolutely, it has gone backwards. Cricket itself has not helped itself after the 2005 Ashes. For people who don't remember, the 2005 Ashes was a, a hugely significant moment in cricket because it was... On national television, there was a big bus parade in Trafalgar Square. It was a huge moment and that should have been capitalised on and it wasn't because then cricket went to, to only those who could afford to pay to pay to watch it. Going to watch a test match at Lords is £170, £180. People don't have that sort of... I know, because I paid it on the weekend. <laughs> sort of money. So in a sense, cricket has not helped itself at all by making itself even more elite and less affordable. There are several things that are being done to try and address that. But you're right, over the last 20 years, the path has narrowed, the interest has narrowed, participation has dropped. Coming up, how has the report been received? What can be done? And if nothing is done, does cricket even have a future? That's all just in a moment. Hold up. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Lizzie, I think some people will be listening to this and think, gosh, is cricket really as bad as all that? And are we in danger of overreacting? And I, I remember quite a few years ago now interviewing Issa Guha and Ebony Rainford Brent, two England female cricketers, both women of colour, who had both just been appointed to commentate on Test Match Special, the sort of bastion of the English cricketing elite, if you like. But I remember the piece I wrote, and it, it was really a piece about progress and about changing times. That was probably seven or eight years ago, maybe more. Is cricket all that bad? Or are we in danger of overreacting and sort of dismissing it as a racism-riddled, sexism-riddled, elitist hellhole? There is a danger that we overreact. I, I think what is very healthy is that cricket has shone a light on this and unearthed some of the most hideous stuff. And I suspect if you went digging into other sports, or indeed other hobbies opera, ballet, you may you may find the same things. But yes, it's important not to overreact because that doesn't bring any change. That just divides things further. And I think the most important thing now is the recommendations that are in the report of what happens next. So we feel the ECB, the English Cricket Board, has done a decent job in commissioning and publishing this report. How have they then reacted to it? Well, they were straight up apologised and straight up accepted that the report was what it was. To those individuals that have been discriminated against, that have been excluded, all of those individuals, the game, the ECB, the game as a whole, owes them a real genuine apology, a heartfelt apology as to the fact that this should be a game for all. And unfortunately, this report identifies with the fact that it has not been a game for all. It's a long report. It takes quite a lot of digesting. So they've given themselves three months to come up with an action plan. Now, some of the recommendations within the report are hugely expensive to implement. Things like gender pay. At the moment, women are around 10 to 15 percent of what the men do. So if you were suddenly going to try and make them equal, you'd either have to give the men a massive pay cut, which isn't going to happen, or find a lot of money to increase the women's pay. Now, there are realities that are in play here. There, are, There is not loads of money in cricket compared to other sports. But Rome wasn't built in a day. We're not suddenly going to see women playing at Lords every day and we're not suddenly going to see boardrooms full of women and people of colour. It takes some time for these things to work through. I saw that the Prime Minister 
Rishi Sunak was interviewed on Test Match Special during the last test. What did you think when that, when that landed? Look, it was, for people who love cricket, like, it was obviously really hard to read. I mean, I'm sure it was, you know, you yeah. read it and when you were just sad. Is there a role for government in this, do you think? There certainly is a role for government, not least in what I was talking about in terms of there being no cricket in state schools. The sport that you love, that I love, that so many people love, being described like that, for it to be brought to light that there were all these issues was just, first of all, just really sad. He said he'd never experienced racism in cricket himself. I haven't experienced that in cricket, but look, of course I've experienced racism um, growing up in, in particular, and of course I know it exists. But when how, did I, you, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it, you know, it stings you in a way that very few other things do. But he clearly does love cricket. I think there's an opportunity for government to look at the report and see where they can help. But look, I, I want to see cricket be inclusive and open to everybody. And we clearly need to, as I said, I don't want to preempt what the ECB will respond when, mm. as they're going through the recommendations in the, uh, in the report. But Will yeah, you be monitoring that? I mean, are you yes, as a government course, going yeah, to be yeah, looking yeah, at what they and do? We, and it's, it, and it's, it, it's also because I, I love this sport and I think it's a very special part of our country and our society and I want to see it be successful and, and supported. So just from a personal perspective, I care about this. So the report's out now. Obviously, a lot of work that you've done has gone into it. Mm. How would you describe the reaction so far? To excuse the pun, I've been quite bowled over. <laughs> We've had such a... and We started a national conversation. People were talking about cricket, were talking about class, issues that women face, you know, issues such as the, the pay disparity and the lack of equitable pay and rewards that exist for women, the discrimination in cricket. So I think we started a national conversation. I hope that that conversation can be converted into, into meaningful action. And how, how much is on the line for cricket here? Because you mentioned earlier, if we, if we keep narrowing these pathways to playing and participation... I don't want to go as far as saying it's existential. I think that would be a bit hyperbolic. But it does seem like a lot is at stake for cricket's future. Uh, absolutely. And I, I would go as far as to say it's existential. I, I mean, I think cricket is battling for its future. Certainly, it's its traditional future, um, the future of, of Test Match cricket and, uh, and Red Bull cricket. It is being now dominated by the Indian Premier League and the money in India. Uh, and that gives English cricket in particular a, a problem not least because you have to compete, the, the realities of needing to have the money to pay the players. But also if you keep narrowing your talent pool in the way that we have been, we're never going to win an Ashes again. I put the same question to Cindy Butts. Going over her report, does she feel that this is an existential moment for the game? Well, look, first and foremost, it has to start with the people in cricket. So if nothing's done, people will continue to be harmed by the game. The game will be failing in its legal and its moral duty. Cricket is a public asset that receives public funds. It must and it should do better. If it doesn't, not only will people continue to be harmed by the game, the game will not strive, it will not thrive. It will get left behind. It will miss out on the wealth of great talent that exists out there. 
you know, youngsters who just need to be exposed to the game. And if they get exposed to the game, they'll love it. Give them a fair chance to progress. And cricket will go from strength to strength to strength. But if it doesn't do that, I'm afraid cricket will never be a game for all. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Josh Glancy, Newsview Editor at The Sunday Times. My guests today were Elizabeth Ammon, The Times Cricket Reporter, and Cindy Butts, Chair of the Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket. We've put a link to Lizzie's first-person read on her experience of sexism in cricket in the description notes of this podcast. It's a really thought-provoking read, And if you're already a subscriber to The Times and The Sunday Times, you'll have access to it. The producers today were Will Rowe and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. See you again soon. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.